by DeVoe. And a chance at an exclamation point. DeVoe, tough finish. If you had New Mexico State in your bracket, it'd work out so good because the Clemson Tigers were superb in San Diego. This is the three. Mitchell pulls it. Clemson wants to run. Ahead, Thomas hammers it down. Who says Clemson doesn't want to get out 94 feet? From the S in March Madness, Bobby Buckets. And for the first time since 1997, the Clemson Tigers are sweet in March. Hey folks, welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. Ben and Sam here with you today, and we are podcasting in March on back-to-back-to-back weekends, which can only mean one thing. Clemson is actually good at basketball. Pinch yourself, folks. It's real. It's kind of unbelievable. I don't really remember what this feels like because I think it was 1997, the last time the Clemson Tigers were in the Sweet 16. But it feels pretty fantastic to have a good basketball team playing well in March, and I mean really well. Like I mentioned, Ben and Sam with you here today. We're going to talk basketball. We're going to talk the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about Virginia. Um, and we might talk about baseball. We'll see. It was a pretty poor weekend for the boys on the diamond. But yeah, Clemson basketball, what an amazing story this year. They're off to the Sweet 16 again for the first time since 1997. It's been a hell of a ride, and there's a lot more in front of this team. But Sam, I can't believe we're doing this, but I think we got to start with the Virginia UMBC game. We never thought we'd see it in our lifetime. That was absolutely amazing to see a 16 seed take down a one seed, not to mention by 20 points. And all I got to say is screw Virginia, go UMBC. The Retrievers had one of the best games you've ever seen a team play in, in the tournament. They did it as a 16. They beat them by 20. It was never really close. There was a point in the second half where you realized that Virginia had pretty much just given up and were they were broken. It was wonderful to watch. Uh, it was so amazing that I completely forgot about the Clemson game that we were watching, the New Mexico State game at the same time. I completely forgot about it for at least the last five minutes of that UMBC-Virginia game. Well, yeah, it was a good thing that we had a pretty good lead for most of the way. It was a pretty comfortable game for Clemson against the Aggies. But, yeah, I mean, quickly, when you see it's 21-21 at halftime, you're like, all right, Virginia, this is how they strangle teams. They're going to come out big in the second half. We've seen them do it to Clemson twice this year. Um, but not in this game. The Retrievers did not go away. And it was, I mean, it was one of the most incredible things I've ever seen in sports. And the bar that we were at, everybody was going crazy. We took celebratory shots after that, I'm pretty sure. 
Um, so yeah, what a really, really cool moment to, to witness in sports. Uh, I, I know people said that it would probably be impossible and it would never happen. I, I think you probably thought one day that it was sure to happen, but you weren't going to see it in a game like this. You know, Penn gave Kansas a run for their money in their first round game. And we've seen in recent years some quasi close 116 games. Plenty of close ones, yeah. You know, within 10 points halfway through the second half, but a 20 point win. That, I mean, that was ridiculous. And the funny thing is, watching NBC play, uh, BC play um, in their next game against Kansas State, they don't play that well. Well, no, if they not, went they went a little icy in that second game, but had they shot as well as they did in the Virginia game, they very easily could have beaten Kansas State as well. Right. It was well, they uh, had a shot. They were close. They did. Going I know it was by end. seven. It was a close game. Uh, they went a little cold in the second half and and couldn't pull it together. But that's sort of what you expect from that sixteen team. Usually, when it's a one sixteen matchup, the best team pulls away heavily towards the end of the second half. That happened in the Virginia game. It just happened to be from UMBC instead of Virginia. And then, then they played the nine seed and lost Kansas state by about seven. So it was, uh, it was absolutely an incredible thing to, to watch live and really watch the crowd react to it at the same time. It was, it was crazy. You could tell that everybody in the country besides the few Virginia fans that were still watching towards the end of the game were cheering for UMBC and the, the media around it this week has just been so overwhelmingly positive and supportive of that program. It's been awesome. Well, I think Virginia fans may go into hiding for the next couple of years. Uh, you know, it's compounded by the fact that Maryland, Baltimore is right across the border from Virginia. Um, so there's surely to be some Virginia fans in the Baltimore DC area hearing it from uh, the very small amount of UMBC fans that are out there is funny. I was watching a uh, YouTube video of, of the campus celebrating after the win, and there was like three people. <laughs> it was it was pretty funny, um, but overall, a really cool moment. And you know what? Who cares about our brackets? Seriously, I couldn't care less at this point that my bracket is completely busted. My champion, one of my other Final Four teams, are both gone, but my Tigers are still in it. Yeah, we got to watch history. And we've seen a ton of amazing games and upsets. This March Madness has been one of the best I can remember in, in many years. Well, it's funny because there, the first day and the second day, there wasn't, there wasn't a ton of monumental uh, monumental upsets. But then you see a team like Loyola, Chicago, go out there and get a big win. Sister Jean all up uh, all up on the TV and then mm-hmm. everybody's, uh, you know, everybody fell in love with her. You get a big Marshall win from the 13 spot, Buffalo. Uh, gets a win from the 13th spot, and then the Virginia loss. Um, it didn't take a lot of little upsets. There were no 12-5 upsets. Um, I'm not sure if there was uh, an 11-6 upset. Yeah, Loyola was a... a Loyola, uh, yeah, but, but aside from that... Syracuse. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple of 11s in the six, Sweet 16. Sure. And uh, Syracuse, I mean, they're not... They're not your Cinderella they're team. They're a Power 5 school, so we're not necessarily going to count that. But the ones that did happen were impact. Yeah, it's like I said, it's been one of the best March Madnesses we've seen in a really long time. Normally, the top-seeded teams are the teams you see coming through. There's always a couple upsets, but the expected air quotes around that number of teams, rankings of teams that are left in the Sweet 16 would be one through four in each of the four different divisions. Instead, we've got two each of ones, twos, and threes. Um, We've got two 11s, two nines, two sevens, and then... Three fives and a four. So 
it's a very different distribution than what you would expect. There's a lot of parity. It's very even. The top, the top half, and we said it last week, the, the, the top teams weren't that strong comparatively. They weren't, uh, you know, heads and shoulders above the rest. I mean, again, I mentioned Kansas and Penn. That was a close game for most of that game. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. It's been an incredible tournament so far, and the fact that Clemson's still in it going into the Sweet 16 uh, makes it even more special with a legitimate chance uh, to move forward. So uh, with that, it looks like we buried the lead a bit here, but a lot of exciting things going on. But let's get into uh, Clemson's march through the tournament so far. Okay, Clemson started out in the first round of the tournaments. Uh, going to San Diego did not seem to be an issue for this basketball team. They get an 11-point win over uh, New Mexico State. They shot 56% from the field, 43% from behind the arch, and almost 78% from the line. Overall, a great shooting day for the Tigers, and the defense was there. Yeah, the defense was fantastic. We talked about our concerns with traveling across the country and playing on the latest slot on, on the first Friday of the tournament. All of it was for naught. Our guys came out and looked awesome. Gabe and Shelton led the way. Keith had a really great game as well. And we just really looked in control most of the game. Well, and it's interesting because usually you think, you know, the, the Clemson trio of guards combined to score 60 points. Um, but they were only 6 of 14 from long range. You saw this team getting into the paint and driving on the Aggies, which is not something that probably they were prepared for having watched tape on this Clemson team from this year. Yeah, it's not something we do, although it is something we always hoped that we would do more. So it was good to see in this game. Um, I noted really early in the game while we were watching together that the rotation looked really odd the first eight or so minutes of the game. We started with Skara instead of uh, Amir Sims. And then we presumably got, for defensive purposes, that absolutely. New Mexico state is known as a defensive minded team. It made sense for the matchups. We talked about a tough matchup for Gabe with uh, Jamario Jones. Potentially instead we put Scara on Jones and it totally shut down him as a, as a major factor in the game. He didn't really have much of an impact. And so it was a really savvy move by Brad Brownell got us off to a great start and we just controlled it the rest of the way after we got off to that hot start. Yeah, so you look at a team like New Mexico State, they're a, you know, they're a top 15 defense in the country. So going into that game, you do have to respect that. And they're no Virginia, but still being a top team defense means something. But I think you get into the game and you're Clemson, all of a sudden you realize that you're going to be able to score on this team, and you're going to be able to score inside. You're not, they're not necessarily big inside. Clemson's played some bigger teams this year and struggled against bigger teams this year. But look at Gabe DeVoe. He was 8-10 from two-point range. Yep. Yeah, and like I said, they – Got us out early. The guards did a great job starting the game off. Shelton looked really, really good the whole game. Uh, ended up with 23-3-5. Tied a career high. Most most points by a Clemson player since 1990 in the NCAA tournament. Yep. And uh, Gabe had 22 right behind him. And uh, Marquise had 15 and 7 rebounds for Marquise Reed. Six foot three Marquise Reed. 7 rebounds in the game. And this Fantastic. Is, this is against a team that was fourth in the country in rebound. Yeah, against the top defensive rebounder in the country. So we looked great, and there's not a whole lot of bad stuff to say about the team after this game, and it only got better against Auburn. Well, and let's not fail to mention Elijah Thomas in this game. He had 10 rebounds and two blocks, but just his presence being there in the post, um, it, you know, it's a big factor in a game like that against New Mexico State, um, allowing the Clemson guards to get inside. And, you know, even when they're pressing on the perimeter, the guards were able to get inside there as well. So overall, a very well-balanced offensive game 
from the Clemson Tigers, this is very unusual for us to see. I think as Clemson fans, even with the success we've had this year, especially with Dante Grantham going down, um, Clemson played two games here where they looked really competent on offense. Yeah, they did. And to your point, Eli ended up um, in that New Mexico State game with six and ten rebounds, six points, ten rebounds. And Amir Sims had another nine and three. So our big guys contributed as well. It wasn't just guard play. It was very a very even approach. Well, another common theme uh, for the Clemson Tigers throughout these first two games, they've really been protecting the basketball. The Aggies committed 11 turnovers in this game, but a lot of them were live ball turnovers, which resulted in really quick points for the Tigers. Clemson only had eight themselves, won that battle. Um, so that's really good to see. Um, if they cannot play sloppy and take care of the ball, we know the heart and the effort and the defense is going to be there. Um, you do those other things right, and when the shot starts falling, it just it becomes easy. Yeah, we talked about some of the keys for the Tigers against New Mexico State. And we talked about needing a certain number of assists, fewer turnovers than 12, which you just mentioned. We had eight for the game and uh, not losing the turnover battle. We ended up losing or not losing the rebounding battle. We lost a rebounding battle by two, which was well within the range that we wanted to keep it. And we had 11 assists for the game to our eight turnovers. So we pretty much hit all those targets one shy of the assist total. But we also shot the lights out throughout the game. And so that made up for that little small gap that we didn't quite get to. Well, and on the flip side, uh, I'm talking about defense. Zach Lofton, their leading scorer, did he was managed to score 29. Uh, he was only 33% from behind the arc. But I think it was fine. You can let one guy go off on you. Jamaria Jones had had 13 points, 14 rebounds. He was hitting, he was above his uh, senior uh, season averages, but there was no support. Yep. There was no supporting cast from this team. They had trouble scoring inside. Uh, they shot less than 39% from the field, 36% uh, from three, and only 65% at the free throw line. If you're going to put up those numbers against Clemson, you're probably not going to win. Yeah, the defense was just too strong, and our offense carried us um, in the low moments when we did let them score some points and let Lofton get on the board. It was just a, a really solid performance all around. And they did out-rebound Clemson by two, but again, a lot of those are um, some of those are probably their offensive rebounds. I mean, they're missing shots. We're not. So yep. the, the fact that the margin was not that wide, they, they had 33 rebounds to Clemson's 31, but they averaged 41 and a half coming into the game. So in my book, that's a win for the Clemson Tigers. Yep. That's all we were trying to do was keep that battle close. Okay. Flipping over to Auburn now, this was just a complete dismantling of uh, this Auburn Tiger basketball team. And I know they had injuries stacked up against them, especially inside, but Clemson just completely dissected this team from top to bottom. It was an 84 to 53 victory. The the lead was up to about 40 midway through the second half. And just all along after the early going, you felt like Clemson had this game in hand. Yeah, we took the lead with about 11 minutes to go in the first half and never relinquished it. Uh, very similar to that New Mexico State game. But instead of keeping it within about a dozen, Auburn sort of folded, started giving us layups left and right and open threes, which we took happily and we hit everything and like you said ended up getting up by 41 at one point and uh, winning the game by 31 it's a number that we're familiar with winning by in postseason play yeah the last one being uh ohio state right 31 yeah. or nothing um yeah again so not just the offense the defense shows up in this game held auburn to 26 percent from the field 22 percent from behind the arc um Crushed them on the glass. Yeah, out, absolutely. Out-rebounded them. them by 19 rebounds. Clemson uh, had 46 rebounds. Again, that's a result of Auburn's poor shooting and all their missed shots. Obviously, it's easier to get a defensive rebound than it is an offensive rebound. 
Um, but just what a refreshing game to see the Clemson Tigers go out and do that to a team in tournament play and a higher ranked team. I mean, this is a completely different feeling and a completely different outcome that we have gotten from Clemson basketball again in 21 years. Yeah. And it, you could tell that the guys were having fun with it. There was a point early in the second half when we were up 25 or 30 and Eli made a play defensively and was on the ground, just smiling and flexing and everybody was picking him up and. You know, they just they looked like they were having fun playing basketball. And I am so impressed by Eli's attitude. When he came to Clemson, a knock against him was, was he committed? Uh, was he a little bit too lazy? Did he have the motivation? And I've seen nothing but good things since he's been in a Tiger uniform, um, and none more so than this year. Um, I think his attitude is contagious. He seems to always have a smile on his face. And I love that muscle flex that he does. Um, it makes me really happy to see him. Boy, was it out in that game. Absolutely. All over the place. Um, and it wasn't just Eli. All of our starters, um, minus Amir, had at least 10 points. Gabe had 22, 5, and 5. They were very well-rounded performances for everybody. They all had at least 5 assists or rebounds or both. Uh, so Gabe had 22, 5, and 5. Eli had a double-double with 18 and 11 rebounds. Marquise Reed had another seven-rebound game, back-to-back seven-rebound games uh, on top of his 16 points. And Shelton Mitchell was going for the triple-double early in the game and then didn't play as much late, but he ended up with 10-6-6. So an an amazing performance from our starters. And only seven turnovers. Yeah, as a team. Again, that was one less in the New Mexico State game. So guys are taking care of the ball. When you're doing that, you're not giving away free points. Yeah, it was was so, so much fun to watch. And you could just tell that, Things were going to go our way really early on in the game. We got a lot of guys in late that don't usually get to see much playing time, which was a lot of fun for us and for the crowd at the game as well. Lyles Davis. Yeah, in the score score sheet. I thought we thought that he might have a chance to score a bucket, but then he had the turnover there midcourt at the end of the game. But hey, he got a rebound, right? Yeah, he got a rebound and a turnover, but uh, he's in the box score along with Malik William. Isaac Fields got some some playing time as well. Uh, so it was good to see those guys get on the court. They work so hard and practice every week and every day, and uh, they get a little bit of glory in the sun during the tournament, which is pretty cool to be able to do that. Quite literally, San Diego, very sunny place. Uh, now the starters stayed in there for a lot longer, or, or played a lot more in, uh, towards the end of that game than you might have thought. You know, we were sitting there watching, thinking about 10 minutes left to go in the second half. Maybe a little too soon to start pulling guys, but you got a pretty big lead. It's not a 20-point lead. It's a 40-point lead. Um, Do you risk injury? That thought starts running through our minds. Why are we seeing them out there? Then, you know, the play gets a little bit sloppy. You see the starters come back on. I like the move. I think it's uh, instilling that mentality in these guys to never – uh, take a moment off. This is tournament basketball. You're playing against really big teams and the stakes have never been higher. So I was actually glad to see them out there. Yeah, I thought it was good that um, Brad made subs, not necessarily to the scrubs who never play, but to our bench players that play regularly. Uh, and the lead started to sort of slip away a little bit. It went from around 40 down to around 30 and he put the starters back in. They bumped it back up, maintained it for the rest of the game. And then the last couple of minutes he put in uh, the end of the bench guys and gave them the chance to get on the court. Yeah. So there's valuable minutes for guys like Spencer and Oliver um, and Sims and Williams to come in there and to be able to Clyde trap, to be able to contribute like that in meaningful minutes 
in a meaningful basketball game. Again, we're about to go up against a team against Kansas who is not all that deep. So the more that we can get out of our bench, the better off we're going to be. And, of course, the more you can get out of your bench in tournament basketball, having to have short turnarounds um, and at the end of a very long taxing season, that is to your advantage. So you normally wouldn't see freshmen coming off of Clemson's bench in ACC play in years past. You're seeing that now in the NCAA tournament, and we're going to keep pounding this home. This is a really good team this year. It's going to be even better next year. Yeah, and I think you've seen since Dante's injury that we've gone a lot deeper than we were early in the year. Early in the season, uh, especially before Scar came back from suspension, we were playing our five starters a ton of minutes, and when Eli was in foul trouble, we were playing Mark Donnell and getting Amir in in stretches, but that was it. We were playing seven guys. There was a very short rotation. And we mentioned that very early on in the season is that we were going to have to develop bench depth to be successful towards the end of ACC play and moving into a tournament. And lo and behold, look what's happened. I mean, Dante Grantham's injury was kind of a blessing in disguise when it comes to that. Now, Mm -hmm. I still think, obviously, we're a much better team. I think we're a Final Four team with him on this roster. But we're still a really good basketball team without him, and that gives these guys a lot of great experience leading into, well, to finish off this season and leading into next year. Yeah, I think Amir especially, obviously, taking – Dante's role directly is going to benefit so much, not only this year. He's shown huge strides throughout the season. His improvement has been in leaps and bounds, where he's not a liability. No, not at all anymore. He's a solid defender. He He can hit that three. He hits the first three he takes every game. Yep. So I think next year we're going to see that three-point shot develop a little bit further. Hopefully we're going to see him get a little smarter on defense, a little bit stronger, and just continue to develop. He's going to be a beast. And getting the other guys time, like Trap and... Um, Anthony Oliver is only going to help going down the line. And, hey, A.J. Oliver, he just needs to go on the court, run to the corner, and hit, he hits that three every single time. It's absolutely amazing. I don't know. I've seen him hit a three from anywhere else on the court. I think he went from the top yeah, of the yeah. key. He went from the corner. Um, but From the elbow? Yeah. I mean, from the corner, he's lights out. Um, I mean, listen, bottom line here, Clemson's guards between DeVoe, Mitchell, and Reed, they're averaging 18 points a game apiece through these first two games in the tournament. Combined, they're averaging 54 points a game. And the team's averaging more than 80. Yeah, So, which is a very good thing as we roll this over into the next segment here, talking about Kansas. A, these guards scoring and their ability to maintain that and keep that up is going to be a huge key for Clemson. Um Moving on to play Kansas, Kansas is a 29-7 and team on the year. They were 13-5 and in the Big 12. Teams have scored over 80 points against them in all but one of their losses. And here Clemson is scoring in the 80s. It definitely bodes well. Um, Kansas is not as strong a defensive team as either of the two we just faced. Auburn obviously limited um, with injuries and not quite up to the same level they were earlier in the season. But... Defensively, there are holes in Kansas's defense. They switch it up a lot. They play a couple of different defenses. They'll do a zone, which I expect them to throw at us because we don't generally handle it all that well. Uh, they do go man as well, and they pressure sometimes. So Bill Self, great coach. He's going to have them prepared. He's got lots of time to prep this week. We're going to see a lot of different things thrown at us. Um, but I definitely like our chances. We have a good shot to beat this team. Yeah, so Kansas comes into the tournament again as a one seed. They did have a 16-point win over Penn in the first game, but that was closer really than the final score would indicate. Um, They had a four-point win over Seton Hall. Seton Hall's a decent basketball team, but again, from a one seed, you start seeing these close games, you start to see that there are chinks in the armor, that they are very much uh, uh, beatable. 
I've been asked this question a lot. I am an alum of both Clemson and Kansas. People have asked me, am I conflicted? Who am I going to be pulling for? And it's a very easy answer for me. Flat out, Clemson all the way. Until after Friday, F-U-K-U is all I have to say. Amen. Uh, we've got some other friends who have similar situations to you, um, graduates of the architecture program at both Kansas and Clemson. And one of them's one of them has allegiance that is uh, probably flipped compared to the rest of the group. Um, but I think for the most part, people are pulling for the Tigers. People love the underdog. And um, it's, it's going to be a good matchup. Well, I always thought of it when I was going to Kansas. I was like, what if, like... Clemson and Kansas ever played on the same basketball court, and I couldn't fathom that. You know, Clemson and Kansas are never going to schedule each other in a uh, you know in the uh, pre-conference play. Uh, they may end up in a tournament um, early in the season, but you know nothing ever materialized there. Uh, but here we are meeting in the NCAA tournament. As soon as I saw the bracket comes out, I was like, oh man, we can get past those first this two games. Happen. It's going to yeah. be a very a very likely possibility. So um, n- no. I do not feel conflicted at all. I am a Clemson Tiger all the way. I'll be wearing my orange. And if should Kansas beat Clemson on Friday, go Jayhawks. <laughs> I'll still be bitter if they beat us, but, you know. Fair enough. I understand your, your perspective. I've, that works. I spent some money there at that school, so um, I will uh, maintain the right to cheer for them should they advance and not Clemson. But listen, again, this is a very beatable basketball team. I think Clemson is going to have to score above their season average like they have been in the first two rounds of this tournament upper 60s, up into the 70s to win this ball game, But it, but that combined with the defense definitely can't happen. You don't want to see these three guys go, go cold, but Kansas defense is not a Virginia defense. No, nor is it a New Mexico State defense. Or exactly. It's about the same as an Auburn defense, but I think the key for us is going to be our defensive approach this game. We cannot let the shooters for Kansas, which they're one of the best in the country at shooting the basketball. We can't let them get hot. Devontae Graham, Sfai McKaylick, they're incredible shooters. They both shoot well over 40% and have hit more than 100 threes this year in 35 games. They shoot a lot of them, and they hit a lot of them. And they can, yeah, like you said, they can shoot well. They got five guys scoring in uh, double digits, and it's not like they have a couple guys right around 10. No, their their lowest scorer of their starter uh, starters is Gerald Vick with, 12.1 points a game. Then you got on the upper end, Devontae Graham with 17.4 points a game. Uh, a big um, a big key for them is going to be center Udoka Azubuke. When he's playing well and he's not in foul trouble and he's not injured, Kansas is a very dangerous team. He was limited in minutes so far in the tournament and missed the Big 12 tournament with a sprained MCL, um, but he's still certainly a factor. Get him in foul trouble. That's a key to that game. And on the flip side, Elijah Thomas has to stay out of foul trouble. Absolutely. Uh, Kansas doesn't really drive a ton because they do like to shoot the three. Um, but Azubuki and LaGerald Vick, as you mentioned, he loves to slash as well. So they have a couple guys who are going to go down low and go right at Eli. Um, the way they run their offense, we're going to have got a lot of guys running through the key. Uh, mostly running to the three-point line, but there's a lot of opportunities for people to pick up stupid fouls against a, a scheme like Kansas's. So we're going to need to be focused, and Eli especially is going to need to stay out of foul trouble because we're going to need that defensive back line. And, and then, so you got a guy like Malik Newman. He's averaging over 13 points a game, and then um, 
he was there at Kansas during my uh, senior year. I still can't pronounce his name. I call him Spaghetti Sauce Milkshake, uh, but it's Svavlodovoslav Mikhailik. Just just call him Svi. Yeah, Svi. Svi Svi. is what uh, we called him in Kansas. Um, Again, I was Spaghetti Sauce Milkshake. Um, All kidding aside, he's scoring 15 points per game. He has improved greatly since he stepped um, on campus in Lawrence. Another guy you have to look out for. But again, a four-guard team, not necessarily a big team um, outside of Azubuke. So if Elijah Thomas can stay out of foul trouble and Clemson shoots the ball well and defends well, they've got a really, really good chance of winning this game. We mentioned they don't have a deep, deep bench. Uh, there are two main guys coming off the bench as a guard, Marcus Garrett. He's only averaging 4.2 points a game. And then you have Mitch Lightfoot, their only other real big guy. He's averaging four points a game. So as Azubuke gets in foul trouble, you get Lightfoot in there, you got to feel very comfortable if you're Clemson. Yeah, Lightfoot's not an offensive threat. Neither is Garrett. Um, the other guy they've got on the bench is D'Souza, who is still sort of figuring out his approach to college basketball. He came in late in the season um, after starting early out of high school, graduated in December instead of in uh, May or June, and joined the team late. But um, their five starters are really their entire team. And if we can get one or two of them in foul trouble, it's going to help us a ton especially if it's Azubuki. So what happens if Elijah Thomas gets in foul trouble in this game? Does that absolutely kill Clemson's chances? It doesn't kill him because uh, we still can run Kansas off the three-point line. The defense of the, the guards is going to be key in this game because if we get uh, Newman or Sfi or um, Dante, Devontae Graham hot, we're going to be in trouble. But if we can get them off the line, get them out of their rhythm, pressure them enough that they're – not stepping into shots easily, uh, we definitely still have a chance. If we can hold them under about 40% shooting from three, we're going to have a chance in this game. And listen, you can let Devontae Graham go off and still win this game as long as you limit their other shooters. There was a couple of their losses this year where he was the only guy in double figures. Now, they still scored uh, over 70 in four of their seven losses. So, again, they're going to score. they're going to score points. Defense is going to be a key to the extent that it needs to be. Play solid all around. Don't be intimidated and keep playing with that same gritty mindset and the same discipline that has won you the first two games. Yep. And another thing we can do is crash the glass hard on the offense. Uh, it's something they definitely leave open at times um, on the Kansas end. So they also, Azubuke especially, likes to crash on their end. So if we get more offensive rebounds than them, it's going to be a good sign for the outcome of the game for us. So that combined, and look for somebody off the bench to have a major impact in this game. It could be a guy like Mark Donald who could come in here and give you eight points or something like that. Um, Mark at the five is going to be a good matchup for us because Azubuke is not fleet of foot. He's a big guy who wants to stay down low. And he's he not going to stretch out and, and guard he has that three. MCL injury. Yeah, still he's not going to stretch out and guard that three. So Mark could definitely have a big game if he and comes in and hits a couple threes. Eight to ten from Mark, that would be huge. Um, you know... How does Sims look out there? Um, do you think he probably gets to start in this game? Or do you think they go with Scara? I think they, they probably need to score. I think they game. probably go with Scara to start because uh, he's a little bit easier to switch on the four-out approach for Kansas. So we may see a quick switch for the first guy that picks up a foul out of those four between Scara and the three starting guards. Um, but I think it makes sense again just with the matchups to start with Scara and. Uh, focus on the, the perimeter defense to start the game. 
Well, so it's absolutely crazy for me to even be thinking about we're sitting here talking about Clemson playing Kansas in the Sweet 16. Um, it's just mind-boggling, even more so just having been around the culture of Kansas basketball while I was out there. Um, and then obviously suffering through all the many um, poor seasons of Clemson basketball throughout my lifetime. But again, just a testament to Brad Brownell and this team and everything that they've accomplished this year. Again, being able to, I mean, it shows you how good this team really is, how they were over to, able to overcome the loss of Dante Grantham. Um, but the, the fact that they're still here, they're still pulling together, and they're beating people decisively in the NCAA tournament. Just all the credit in the world goes to these guys, and they've been just, you know, thanks to them, they've been really exciting to watch this year, and I just wish we were able to watch uh, Grantham out there with them. Absolutely. Uh, we definitely feel for Dante having lost the, the second half of his senior season. He's been, we've talked about it a bunch of times before, he's been great with the team, um, sitting on the bench every game, cheering his guys on. He uh, His birthday is actually today. Happy birthday, Dante. Um and he got a tweet from Gabe DeVoe saying happy birthday and responded, yeah, man, it's been great watching you guys. Uh, I just want to get out there and celebrate with you. So he he's focused on the team the entire time. Uh, and he and Brownell and, and that, it, Gabe have just been incredible leaders for this program yeah, for the last year. Absolutely. Dante, I think we mentioned last time, Dante, when asked a question in one of the pressers, um, he didn't want to talk about himself. He wanted to talk about all the things that this team did without him. So I, I can't say how proud I am uh, as a Clemson fan and a Clemson alum of uh, Dante Grantham. People, including us, kind of gave him a little bit of hell throughout his, the early portion of his career just because we didn't see the development there, and we really expected a lot more for, uh, from him. But chalk it up to this guy, man. He, he's persevered all the way through, and I know he's going to get through this injury, and he's going to go on and be successful. And I hope this team is dedicated to this tournament run to him. Okay, so not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but because we're not going to be recording uh, before we might possibly play in an Elite Eight game, we'd be staring down the barrel of either a Duke team who was good this year. They're not elite like they usually are. Uh, then a Syracuse team that came in as an 11 seed. Uh, the only reason they got in was because of their a regular season ending win against Clemson up in the carrier dome. Uh, so they've come out of nowhere. They've won two games here. They are in the sweet 16. I don't think anybody saw that coming. The good news for Clemson is we know we can beat both of these teams. Absolutely. Uh, it's two of the top defensive teams of the country, especially the second half of the season. Syracuse is not going to score many points at all. They haven't scored more than 60 in their three tournament games, including the play in, and yet, here they are in the Sweet 16 because they're holding teams to less than 60 a game, more like 53, 54. Duke, on the other hand, still a strong defensive team. Uh, they also go 2-3, sort of taking a page out of Jim Beheim's book uh, on Krzyzewski's side. But they can definitely put up points in a hurry. They've got four or five guys that can go off on any night, um, the most important of which is probably Marvin Batley III, who is the ACC Player of the Year, Freshman of the Year, Probably going to be a top three pick. He's insane. Uh, and their senior leader in Grayson Allen. Well, so either way, we, we still know Clemson can win. You know, lost a close one at home to do without Shelton Mitchell. Lost a close one at the Carrier Dome to end the season against Syracuse. But Clemson is playing with such confidence right now. Should they come off a win against Kansas, there won't be a doubt in these guys' mind that they can win 
whichever team will be standing in front of them. And I'm telling you, folks, it is a very likely possibility. It's a reasonable and realistic possibility to think that Clemson could end up in the final four. And who would have seen that coming? It would have it would have been one of the greatest one year to the next turnarounds in, in NCAA basketball history that I can remember. Um, now, it's very likely that Kansas could blow them out. Could totally happen. Because they're a very good basketball team. Uh, but again, I, I think it's a very real possibility that you could see Clemson going there, and just and to think that 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 Tony Bennett was named the ACC Coach of the Year after what happened to them and what Brad Bennell could do, they might want to revoke that. And uh, yeah, I don't know if they can ma- retroactively mail, mail do that, but if Brownell can get this team to an Elite Eight and or Final Four, not to mention that he's already gotten us to the Sweet Sixteen. Just an amazing job by him this season, and he deserves every accolade that he gets. Well, I, maybe I'll go down to the local trophy shop and uh, we can send him one. Yeah, send yeah. him one. Um, yeah, coach of the year in our hearts. Exactly. Yeah, with an apology letter for wanting to fire him last year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, let's speak about that. I mean, thank God that D Rad doesn't listen to the fans. Yeah, the consensus was overwhelmingly get rid of Brad last year, and we talked about it in previous episodes, but. Um, Dan took the long approach to it, right? He ex- he extended the contract, smoothed it out so that we don't have a crazy buyout if, in fact, Brad Brownell had had a terrible season this year, which, thank God, he didn't. Um, now there's no reason to even think about that buyout for at least another year or two. Brownell has been amazing, and he set this program up for a lot of success. We're going to keep hitting on it, like you said. This team's awesome this year. It's been so much fun to watch. It will be con- continue to be fun to watch as we go forward in this tournament. Uh, but next year there's potential that we are even better. Well, enjoy it. Why at last folks at minimum, we have 40 more minutes of Clemson basketball this year. It's been a fantastic ride and we hope for their continued success. So that wraps it up for the Clemson portion of this tournament. Let's take a look real quick at the rest of the bracket. So Sam, a lot of upsets, a lot of one seeds, a lot of two seeds going down. Uh, a lot of teams in there that you maybe wouldn't expect right now. Texas A&M with a shellacking against North Carolina. The ACC has not looked good in this tournament at all for the most part with the you know the cherry on top being the Virginia loss. What's it look like right now? What are the unexpected things that you're seeing? Um, who do you have to win right now? We've talked about the number of uh, high-ranked seeds that are in the tournament still nine teams that have no don't have the right rankings to be in this at this point if you expect the lower seed to win every game uh it's the second highest since i think 1985 since the tournament expanded to 64 teams uh so it's been pretty crazy we've got a lot of upsets and teams making it further than you'd think and the acc while we've had some pretty embarrassing results virginia uh go retrievers we still do have four teams in the tournament. We've got Syracuse who's making an unexpected run like we just talked about. We've got Duke. We've got us. And we've got Florida State still sticking around. So we have a chance to to get two or three teams uh, into the Elite Eight and maybe one or two into the Final Four. We'll see what happens. Well, it's a little bit deceiving because Syracuse and Duke are going to play each yes. other. So that's definitely one. And then one, we'll, one, if we win, we'll play the winner. Exactly. So, so, so ACC teams may end up weeding each other out. But 
disappointing, certainly, for UNC and Virginia. I don't think a lot of people saw that coming. We are shocked to see Syracuse up there. No surprise that Duke's playing so well. And listen, Florida State's a good basketball team. Um, them like Virginia Tech or some of these other ACC teams that made it in could very well have, have made a deep run in this tournament. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Uh, Florida State versus Gonzaga is going to be an interesting game for sure. Um, but elsewhere, again, Texas A&M playing really well in this tournament so far. Uh, they're going to square up against Michigan. I think one of the very few Big Ten teams that are actually still left. Them and Purdue, it looks like. Um and then on the other side of the bracket, I mean, you look at the South, it kind of sets up pretty nicely for Kentucky. It did. It worked out really well for them. Uh, there were a lot of Kentucky fans moaning about the difficulty of their bracket coming into the tournament. Uh, they would have had a very tough matchup with Davidson, Arizona, and then potentially Virginia, followed by potentially Cincinnati. could have been a really tough run. Instead, they're going to get Davidson, and that's probably going to be the toughest matchup they face until they make the Final Four if they continue to win. So... They're definitely one of the favorites to at least make the Final Four. Whether they continue to win after that point uh, will be will remain to be seen. Uh, I think a couple of other major contenders that still are in the tournament, uh, Kansas and Villanova, obviously the one seeds are always going to be real contenders for the title. I think Duke's got a good chance. And the one that's not a one or a two that I think really stands out is Gonzaga at this point. They haven't looked great in their first couple games, but they've pulled out some some good wins and they're a very talented offensive team with uh, a good back line that can, can help them win the close games. Now Michigan beat a Houston team that was maybe seated a little bit lower uh, than you might've expected coming in. They get a one point win over them. I mean, that's a pretty good win for Michigan. I think they're a team that you have to look forward to. So again, that or, or watch out for that Texas A&M Michigan games can be pretty interesting. It should be fun. Um, the highest seed that could come out of the West bracket is a three in Michigan, uh, the South, a five in Kentucky. And then again, you still have your number ones. I think out of the number ones, I think Villanova probably has the best shot at making it to the final four. They're the only number one team that has beaten teams and played, you know, played like a number one should play. Um, they had a 23 point win over Alabama and a 26 point win over Radford. Uh, to start the tournament. So they're playing like a number one seed um, should. I think for me, going into my final four right now, I'm going to put Villanova there for sure. I'm going to put Kentucky out of the south. I think it's Michigan out of the west. I just think Gonzaga hasn't played that well, and they're going to – they have weaknesses, and they're going to get beat. And then drum roll. As terrible as that is, maybe I'll put in a sound effect for that one. Coming out of the Midwest, I can't go homer on you right now. I just can't. If this was Clemson football, I'd probably have us winning the whole thing. I've got Duke right now. I think Duke rises up. I I, I think Kansas beats us, and then I think Duke beats them. Just more depth, more well-rounded um, to make it into the Final Four. So that's who I got. What you looking at? Uh, I, I agree on a number of those. I'm going to put Villanova and Kentucky out of the East and South. I think their paths are fairly easy. Uh, a tough West Virginia game for Villanova in the next matchup, but Villanova's guards are fantastic and they're not going to be troubled by the, uh, the pestering defense of the Mountaineers out of the West. Uh, I mentioned Gonzaga as a team that I really like. I think they'll come out of that matchup um, probably against Michigan. Maybe we'll see. Um, 
that Mich- Michigan game with Houston broke my heart a little bit because I thought Houston was going to be our Cinderella this year. And uh, Michigan hit a fantastic game winner after Houston blew some free throws late in the game. Hey, Clemson might be your Cinderella this year. I would. That would be even better. If a five seed can be a Cinderella. And uh, out of the Midwest, though it hurts me to say it, I agree with you. I think it's going to be Duke. Um, I'm not so sure about the Clemson and Kansas game. I've, I've got that probably at like a 30% chance we win it right now. Um I'd love to see us try and beat Duke to get into the Final Four. I think they're definitely beatable, but at a certain point, history and uh, history of success in these types of situations matter. Brad Belnell has never been this far in a tournament. Bill Self has. The guys on this Kansas team have played deep into tournaments. Devontae Graham is not going to, you know, back down from any challenge. He's one of the best players left in this tournament. I just think it's going to be a really tough matchup for Clemson. Again, I think it's absolutely doable if everything goes right. I would not be surprised if Clemson wins this game. But I'm about with you. Probably 30% of Clemson winning with Kansas. You know, I think I think Clemson will not get blown out. I think they'll keep it close. No, I think we, we haven't we mentioned it before, except for that Virginia anomaly game after Dante Grantham got hurt. We haven't lost by more than nine the rest of the season. Yeah. I think that streak continues if we lose this game. It all comes down to Azubuke and uh, Elijah Thomas. Whichever one of those guys gets in foul trouble, that bodes well for the other team. Okay, so that wraps it up for basketball. Um, can't believe we're still talking about it this late in March. As Clemson fans, it's been an exhilarating ride, and we hope to see more action um, from Brad Belnell and his boys. And, again, just uh, – it's really cool that we're not focusing on football. Have something else to talk about this time of year. Um, a Clemson sport that we are going to talk about now, and one that hasn't been playing well lately, is Clemson baseball. So let's move on to that. So apologies for capping this episode on a downer. Uh, Clemson baseball on a skid, coming off of a series sweep by NC State over the weekend. We'll start with the good. Clemson led off the midweek game last week. Monty Lee still only one loss in midweek games as Clemson coach. Clemson beat Charleston Southern 5 to nothing. The big thing out of this, and two key things out of this, Grayson Bird had a three-home run game. He had all five RBI. And Holt Jones, 5.1 innings pitched. No one runs. He didn't allow a run or a hit until the sixth inning. Um, so, or Clemson didn't allow a run or a hit into the sixth inning. So... Just looking at that, number one, perhaps we found a weekend starter. It's just Charleston Southern. We don't, or a weekday starter. Again, it's just Charleston Southern. We don't really know, but a silver lining could be had there this last week of Clemson baseball. Moving on to the NC State series, uh, it was just horrible. Um, NC State took the, well, they took all of them. It was four nothing, six to one, and then five to four. At least the bats came out alive a little bit. There in the, the the last game of the series, yep. it was the lowest Clemson run total in the series since Monty Lee took the job. The previous lows were seven runs at North Carolina last year and then seven runs at Duke back in 2016. This was a little bit different. I know NC State was a hot team coming in. They pitched well. They'd been hitting well, well over 300 as a team average. But Clemson just ran into a buzzsaw and it was kind of pathetic. Yeah, we didn't look good. Um, the NC State series, just the bats were, there was no power in them. There was no pop. Uh, I was watching the game on Saturday while I was also multitasking, watching two or three basketball games, and it was just every ball that got put in play was getting fielded really, really easily by NC State. They were going right at people. 
Uh, the few that we did get some power on floated. The wind coming out of right field hurt us, um, and we just we couldn't get anything going. It was it was a rough rough game to watch. Yeah, and the, and the top half of the order was absolutely dreadful. Um, they combined for a 179 average and one RBI over the weekend. Monty Lee did some shaking up of the lineup, uh, moving Beer around to the third and fourth spots in the lineup, moving Cromwell up to second, and that just turned out to be a disaster because there was actually or absolutely no production there. Um, you know, in the first game, only had six hits, and the bottom of the order accounted for four of those. So again, just really poor team uh, batting all around. It's just not the top of the lineup. The team only batting. Uh, uh, with a 213 average over the weekend with 12 walks and 26 strikeouts, only three extra base hits all weekend. And that all came in the last game. So the Clemson tires coming into this year, we thought hitting was not going to be an issue. Well, it's turned out to be an issue. Guys like drew Wharton, who started off the season so hot, he hasn't been hitting well lately. Um, the team as a whole this year is only batting 257. That's way down from last year. They're averaging eight and a half strikeouts a game. Everybody's batting average across the board has been down. Seth Beer down to 254. The only guy, the only guy who's hitting well now is 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 Grayson Bird coming out of nowhere. He's got a 545 average uh, since the the Georgia Tech series. With yeah, after we started off the season thinking he was going to have a rough year hitting, he's come back strong. Batting 316 on the year, he has his average all the way up. So that's been the bright spot in the Clemson's lineup. I think he's solidly in there, uh, switching between second and third base. So. I think there's some more shuffling to do, um, but just a really poor showing over the weekend for the Clemson Tigers, and hopefully this is a low point in the season. Yeah, this is an NC State team that's that's very good. Um, but the thing that sort of, despite the, the bad hitting, our pitching wasn't all that fantastic either. Um, we gave up at least four runs in each of these three games. It's more than we've done in, in previous series. And without the batting to back it up, we had no chance to win any of these games. They were not close. Uh, the second one specifically, while I was watching on Saturday, every inning, uh, they were giving up one run off of leadoff hits. That first guy getting around, um, first two guys getting on a lot as well, multiple innings. And when we're just we're giving them two or three runners to start every inning, it's going to be really tough to to keep the score low, which the pitchers did a good job holding it to one per inning. Uh, but if you're giving up an in, still, a that, run every that, inning, that starts to wear on you. It's bad. Um, and, and, Again, you mentioned the walks. It was very uncharacteristic. And normally the starters have been outshining the relievers, but the pitching staff as a whole with a 5 ERA uh, through these four games, averaging four walks a game, the starters with a 6-3-4 ERA over the weekend, averaging uh, 3.7 uh, walks every nine innings pitch. So just not a solid performance all around. The, the pitching really struggled. NC State, again, coming in with really hot bats, but – you know, you're going to run into some teams like this, especially when it comes to tournament time, and the pitching is going to have to come through. Um, a few bright sides, Riley Gilliam seems to bounce back a little bit, and, and Carson Spears has remained solid, as has Ryan Miller. I mentioned Holt Jones. He has a 104 ERA through 82 thirds innings pitch this year, so looking forward to seeing more of him. Uh, Spencer Strider is a guy who continues to struggle. I think you may start to see less and less of him this year as the year goes on. The coaching staff stuck it out with him a little bit as he was struggling early on. But I think if that continues to happen, you might see less and less of him. Um, but still, some some cause for concern here with the lack of hitting. You know, this Clemson team has played 17 to 20 games at home this year. Uh, two of those technically away games were in Greenville. 
Next five games on the road, um, one against a coastal team that, you know, won the College World Series a couple years ago. Mm-hmm. They're 15 and seven. We got three at Louisville. Uh, they've lost four of their last six, but they are 16 and four of the year. And then finally, we wrap it up back at Floor Field um, with a game against Furman in the midweek game next week. We beat them earlier this year, 12 to four. But, you know, the, the team's going to have to figure out something hitting wise. And I think part of that equation is getting Keir Meredith back. It wasn't that big of an issue early on in the season. Bryce uh, Teodosio was was playing okay yep. at center field, but he's been he's been struggling. He's hitting 164 in the year. Monty's had to to make a switch there just to kind of I think his confidence is taking too much of a hit. And then Logan Davidson is not your prototypical leadoff hitter. You've seen his average dip a little bit. So I think getting Meredith out there will hopefully be what this offense needs. And maybe you can put Davidson into the into the two slot beer third. Williams fourth, and then Cromwell in the fifth spot where maybe he's a little bit more comfortable. Again, uh, between Davis and Bear Williams and Cromwell, they only had a hit apiece in the last four games. Yeah, there's definitely room for improvement. Uh, the Louisville series is going to be a good opportunity for this team to get back on the right track. Uh, we're currently tied with them in the Atlantic for third, uh, along with Florida State at 3-3 three and three in ACC play. But like you said, this is a good Louisville team. They're 16-4 and four on the season. And they can put up numbers in bunches if they're having a good night. Um, so our pitchers are going to need to be on. There's a couple games this this year where they've put up 16 in a game. So uh, not against the best competition, Western Carolina and Moorhead State. But um, it's a team that can hit. So our pitchers are going to need to come out strong. The defense is going to need to be on their toes and uh, crisp with their throws. We'll see if we can get these Tigers back on track this coming weekend. Well, at least the defense hasn't been terrible. They did have five errors in the opening game against NC State. Uh, no errors in the, in the final two. So at least the for the most part, the defense has been solid this year. But the, the thing that we were supposed to be strong at, hitting, we haven't been doing very well with that lately. And the thing that has been dominant this year, the starting pitching, at least the weekend starters for Clemson, they didn't pitch well over the weekend. So it was just a perfect storm. And again, Clemson 0-3, series sweep. Um, Monty Lee's going to have to make some adjustments if these guys are going to turn it around. Okay, so that about wraps it up for us today. A lot of exciting things to talk about in the um, basketball world for the Clemson Tigers. Not so much in baseball, but you know what? We got basketball right now, guys. And uh, that, that's all that matters. That's, that's all that matters as long as we can continue uh, dancing. So, um, yeah, great year all around for the team. We look forward to talking more about them. Um, next week after this weekend's games hopefully we are previewing a final four uh birth i don't know what i would do with myself I, I, yeah i don't know either um but we're gonna have to figure it out because it's a very real possibility hopefully we're not talking about a blowout loss to kansas um certainly would not see that happening against duke or syracuse but we'll see what happens get behind this basketball team uh hopefully some of you tigers are making the trip out to omaha it's not the greatest place in the world, uh, but, you know, Clemson's playing there. So, Like we said, hopefully this is the first of two trips to Omaha for Clemson sports this year. We'll see. I'm more confident about the basketball team. <laughs> well, well they're, they're definitely they're going. going. They're going. Well, I'm more confident about the basketball team playing two games in Omaha than I am of Clemson uh, baseball playing two games there, to put it that way. So, um, yeah, thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Again, we hope to have more for you here uh, for basketball coming soon as well. We'll keep following the baseball team. And Cody's going to be back, and maybe Tully will talk a little bit of football as spring practice continues to go on. Um, 
you know, a lot of interesting things there with the with the cornerback position and the quarterbacks. Chase Bryce really stood out in the the last scrimmage. So, um, yeah, and spring game coming up soon. Actually televised on ESPN this year and not uh, ESPN four and a half. So there we go. Uh, thank you everybody for listening. We can uh, we appreciate the continued support. Uh, the messages on Facebook, uh, the reviews on iTunes, all the likes on SoundCloud and whatnot. Uh, thanks for everybody sticking with us this year. It's been a fun run for the Clemson Tigers. We did not expect to be uh, broadcasting so much, uh, recording so much here in March, but here we are, and we don't have anything to complain about. So, again, thank you all for listening. We will be back with you next week, and as always, go Tigers, beat KU. Then a team like Loyola, Marymount. No. Look at you. You got it right. And then you questioned yourself. <laughs> but you see a team like Loyola. Then you see a team like Loyola. Is that Still right? Still sounds weird. Just, but, just say Loyola. But then you see a team like Loyola. <laughs> then you see a team like Loyola. Then you see a team like Loyola. Why can't I not say this? I don't know. But then you see a team like Loyola, Chicago. I can't go on after. I'm like, I'm just so exasperated. But then you see a team like, but then you see a team like Loyola, Chicago.